Welcome to your personal growth, personal brand podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Biernan. I interview grow getters just like you who overcome adversity, thirst for progress, and have a powerful message to share. You'll see how personal growth means getting a handle on your past and why your personal brand is the key to your future. What's going on, grow getters? Today I'm joined by Matt Horn. He's the director for local government services for MRB Group. His job is to take your community to the next level. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Andrew. Really excited to be here. Same. So Matt has a tremendous amount of depth in economic development. Now, the idea behind economic development to a layperson, it, it seems kind of it gets really dicey, right? There's there's government aspects, there's business aspects, there's personal aspects, uh, and then there's all the layers of government. There's all the layers of business. There's all these other pieces that are coming into it. So maybe let's just start with the general concept of economic development, and maybe you know, and, and explain it like on five type fashion. Can you walk us through wh- how does someone do economic development? Yeah, well, like everything else these days, it's changing. It's changed. It's growing. It's evolving, and everyone's definitions are uh, are moving around quite a bit, and and they're pretty different. But at its core, it's about uh, kind of lightening the load for everybody in your community, right? So uh, there's a cost to to living in a city or a village or a town or a county. Uh, we 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 all throw in for that cost, right? By by virtue of paying taxes uh, and other other fees. And the job of economic development is to make sure that that stuff gets spread out as far as it can get spread out uh, so that everybody has a much lighter load um, and that we're creating communities uh, that people and businesses want to grow and thrive in. And so uh, the the bulk of our, uh, of our economic development work is really getting at the heart of what kind of community you want to be when you grow up. Uh, what, what, what do we want to see uh, out of our communities in the next 10 or 15 years? And then uh, putting muscle behind, uh, whether it's resident attraction, getting people to, to move to our community, whether it's business attraction, getting uh, people to invest and to create jobs in our community. Um, it, it, it really is just about making a, a really great place to live and do business. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great way to define it is, is making, making a community better. And yeah. you can see communities that have not done a good job. Right. You know, some 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 cities in Michigan come to mind. Right. There's other spots around around the country. We're like, ooh, yikes, things did not go well there. Um, so how do how do we as as regular people, those listening, how do we make sure that our community is on the up and up? How do we make sure that economic development is headed in the right direction? Yeah. For, I mean, from my perspective, when we're working with communities on any type of long range planning, any type of long range visioning, we ask ourselves, what kind of community do, do you really want to see in the next 15 or 20 years? Uh, and that, that comes from a lot of places. The, the places that you see that aren't doing a great job um, are the communities who haven't asked their residents questions like, what are we going to be in 15 years? What are our planning principles or our core values as a community? Um, I years ago, years and years ago, I read this great book by a guy named Simon Sinek. The book was called Start With Why. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he talked about this idea of the golden circle, right? So uh, the golden circle is three, if you can picture it as three concentric circles. And on the outermost ring is what, right? What we do. And as a community, 
what we do are things like fill potholes and treat wastewater and, uh, and you know, build sidewalks and those kinds of things. Uh, every community in the country, I always say every, let's say 99.5. There's always exceptions. <laughs> uh, should know, just like just about every person should know when they go to work or go to school, what it is we're here to do, the very basic tasks that we're here to do. Um, inside of that, what is another circle um, that's how we're going to do it? These differentiators in, uh, in the private market, you know, that's called your value proposition. Um, in local government or community development, I talk about these as core values or planning principles, and that is like the DNA of your community, um, how you behave. And, and uh, Andrew and I both spend a lot of time in a place called Canandaigua in, in upstate New York. And when I walk by something uh, in Canandaigua, I can typically say, yep, that's Canandaigua, right? And you can think <laughs> about that in your own hometown where you walk by something good or bad and say, yep, that's that's hometown, right? And uh and so that's the how, how we're going to do it different than everyone else. And then, and, and so if, if 99% of the people know what they're doing, let's say 35% of the people know how they want to be doing it, right? Um, and then in the very center ring, in the very center circle is why. And that's really our purpose, our reason for getting up every day, uh, where we are headed as a community, why we're doing all of these things. Um, and, and what separates us from from our peers, and um, and about one percent of the country individually knows their knows their why, understands their purpose. Similar for companies, and uh, and in communities, it's about the same thing. Uh, only a very few communities have said this is why we want to be the way we want to be. This is uh, this is the our reason for being here. And he goes on to describe a bell curve um, that he calls the law. He doesn't call it this. It's a, it's known as the law of diffusion of innovation. And what it says is um, on the very front end of the curve, it's, it's about adoption of new things or adoption of technology, adoption of new principles on the very front end of the curve, you have innovators and then you have uh, early adopters. And then you have the early majority and the late majority. And, uh, and finally the laggards and the innovators he talks about in the book uh, are folks uh, who stood in line to get the iPhone, right? They wrapped around the corner to get the iPhone uh, when it was $1,000, right? Even though there was a flip phone for sale in the store next door for $49.95. And the laggards are the people who have touchtone phones because they don't make rotary phones anymore, right? <laughs> and uh, he talks about innovators buying why you do something not buying what you do. And so the communities that you can think of that are doing economic development really well, and I won't name any names to protect the innocent, but um, communities that are doing it really well are attracting people with similar core values, with similar purpose, with similar why. And the fastest way to attract people with similar core values and similar purpose is to say it, right? Uh, and to say it out loud and to be as clear as you can be about your why, about your reason for being a community and, and why uh, why those other innovators would want to come to you, would want to be a part of your community. And the only way to say it out loud is to sit down and figure it out. And so when we're doing economic development, the very first thing we do in communities that are patient enough to work it this way is to sit down with core leadership, 
to sit down in very public places and uh, in big public forums and ask the question, why do you live here? Why do you want to invest in this community? And we differentiate these communities, as you can, as you can imagine, you can picture some of those, some of those ne'er-do-wells that you were thinking of before. We differentiate communities in two piles. One are a community of choice, right? Community of choice is I share values with the people who lead in this community. I share values with my neighbors. I get up every day. I contribute to the community because I want to keep it on this path that it's on. And then the other pile is what I call communities of, of circumstance. And that is, well, I grew up here. My parents are ill, but as soon as they pass away, I'm out of here. Or as soon as I graduate from school, I'm on the next bus because I got to get as far away from here as possible. And those are places typically with either not very well-defined core values or not very good <laughs> core values. <you> know? um, <laughs> Maybe they're defined, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the example I use all the time, we, and Simon Sinek talks about in, in, in why, when, when companies are trying to define their why... A lot of times you'll go straight to profit. I'm here to make a profit. Well, there's a million ways to make a profit. And, and you know, why would you, why would you work hard at something if there was an easier way to make a profit, right? If that was your only motive. Um, and similarly in communities, what we find when we talk to leaders sometimes is what well, we, we got to get taxes down. We got to keep taxes low. Uh, we got to, we got to get, make it affordable. And I, and I kind of bang the drum to say, you don't want your purpose as a community to be the cheapest place in the region. Now that's, I mean, does that really ring your bell as, as someone, as particularly you as a young person who's got an entire career ahead of them, you're very mobile, you can be where, wherever you want to be. And are you looking for cheapest? Are you looking for, uh, you know, for the most basic thing? Or are you looking for a connection? Are you looking to connect with someone from, from, core value, from a core value standpoint? And so that's why whenever, whenever I talk into communities about, economic development or about strategy, community development strategy, building your community up. I ask, what do you want to be? Why are you here? Why did you run for office? Why did you stay in this community? Um, nearly everyone we talk to is mobile. I mean, that's what that's the nature of the world today. You can go wherever you want to go. Um, so you chose to be here, whether you know it or not, uh, whether you, whether you um, consciously made that choice or not, you chose to be here. And there's a reason why. There's a reason why you chose to run for office. I don't know what you know about these small town mayors in particular, but these aren't lucrative positions, right? Uh, there aren't <laughs> there aren't election war chests and dozens of staff just swirling around. I mean, these these are a couple thousand dollar a year positions, right? To to work, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours. You're making lower than minimum wage, so you didn't do it for the money. There's no big lobby out there, I'll tell you. At least in the communities I work in, there's no lobbyists that are buying Mercedes for the mayor or for the third ward city council person. Um, you're, you did this for a reason. You joined this city council or this town board for a reason. You chose a leadership position in your community for a reason. What is it? So let's get down to it. And we spend a lot of time picking that apart, just, just combing through it and trying to find alignment. Where's everybody's alignment? And, um, and ultimately, that will point you or that will, as you aggregate all of those principles and ideas, that will paint a clear vision for the community. And once you have that, you I tell people broadcast it, slap it on the side of anything that's standing still so that you can be very clear to the investment community that this is the type of community we are. This is the type of business we're trying to attract. This is the type of residents we're trying to attract. 
And, um, and ultimately that's how you fulfill your vision and that's how you make your community better. Yeah. And it's one of those, like, it's almost as a leader, by the time you get sick of saying it, maybe just maybe then people might've heard it. You know, like yeah, you gotta exactly. put it out there. Keep pushing the message because so many people are, we, we all have our heads down. We, we're doing other stuff. The, the community growth or the economic development in general isn't most people's focus, right? Most people are concerned about their jobs. Right. They're concerned about their family. They're concerned about loved ones or or what what the, what the sporting event is on TV, right? That's That's where they are. And so to break through into that, yeah, it's going to take a lot of messaging. It's going to take messaging that resonates, that means something. Just saying, oh, we want to be a good community, yep. right? That doesn't, that's that's empty, right? We want to be the cheapest or we want to be just nice, you know, like, or we want to be like yeah. old, you know, we want to be like a harken back to the days of old, like right? whatever you're going to be, speak to something, speak to some values because yeah. that's how, that's how people are going to notice. That's how people are going to stand out. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's, there's pace, what you're getting at is pace, right? Uh, that's the other thing that, that can frustrate politicians in particular or elected leadership about economic development and, and about realizing a vision is it takes time. So think about, and, and I know, again, we're both pretty local, so we don't want to upset anybody or play any favorites, but think about when you've traveled nationally, what name two great cities in the country that are not in upstate New York. Right. I mean, you look at, I mean, one, I've heard a lot about economic speaking Atlanta I keep hearing about Atlanta's got this and that and they're like they're they're blowing up as far as things are going on and, and like you mentioned Austin earlier uh, in our conversation yeah. right two cities that seem to have nailed the concept of attracting a certain persona there they have certain values that are drawing people in people rec- they see themselves there and so they go there Atlanta had it's I'm so glad you mentioned Atlanta because and the the, the point being if you went to Atlanta in the 50s uh, and looked at it, and then looked at everything that's there today. Um, it it was a slow grind, and it, they worked at it and worked at it and worked at it. And through the late fifties, early sixties, and and even into the early part of the seventies, Atlanta called itself the city that was too busy to hate. Right, so it's uh, it's in the deep south, right in um, in a part of of the country that struggled with civil rights and that. Uh, that struggled uh, with uh, with the economic effects of catching up on things like civil rights, and Atlanta didn't didn't play with that. We're too busy to hate, and and you know where they they built themselves as an inclusive community right out of the gate, and that resonated with people. And I joke all the time. I lived in Atlanta for a while, and you go to a Braves game, and uh, you. No one goes to the Braves to see the Braves because no one's from Atlanta. <laughs> Everyone moved to Atlanta um, and they all moved there for lots of different reasons. But that flywheel that started spinning back in the 60s and then really got going in the, in the 80s and 90s was built on inclusion. And so people identify with that. Companies identify with that. People move there. They move companies there. And, uh, and so if you can really hit on a core value that rings true with somebody else, they're going to come, they're going to bring their money, they're going to bring their influence and, and all of a sudden it's happening. But the other thing we tell people, particularly when you're starting from scratch, when you're starting, like I'm just now identifying my vision um, is you got to stick with it. And you got to, what uh, that similarly, and this doesn't have to be a commercial for start with why, but in, uh, in the, when he talks about implementation, the goal, the uh, golden circle, he talks about clarity of why, saying out loud as clear and as loud as possible that this is what we are about 
discipline around how. So if you're around, if you're about environmental stewardship as one of your hows, or you're about inclusion as one of your hows, the first time you step outside of that, the market gets confused, right? When you act in a way that's contrary to a core value, the market gets confused and it slows down your progress discipline around how, and then consistency of what. Every time we do this, we do it the same way and we do it in alignment with our values and we do it in furtherance of our vision. And, um, and that's how you create real economic momentum. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's so true because if you're always latching on to the, the hot thing at the moment, or you're getting excited about like, Oh, this is what this city's doing. So we should do something like that. Right. You You start to, you you lose yourself and you lose your message and people lose why they should care or why they should connect or why they should move there or their business there. And, and I think that's important too, is, is the, the idea of who are you trying to attract? Because if you're trying to appeal to a resident, current resident, you're going to do one thing. If you're trying to appeal to your ideal new resident, you're going to do another thing. If you're trying to appeal to the ideal types of businesses you want to move to the area, you may structure things a little bit differently. So it almost makes you think it's, it's like one of those chicken and the egg conundrums. Like, you know, do you have to try and get the people there first and then try and get the businesses there? Do you have to try and get this community vision and then get the people that live there on board and then look for businesses, then look for people? Like how, what do you do? What's the process for doing that in a way that a community actually grows with that type of message? Yeah, it, it's it's all about um, what's within my control, right? So what can I possibly do? I've identified who it is I'm trying to attract or better who it is I'm trying to retain. I've got people here already. I want to make sure they don't go anywhere. Um, and so as a as a local government leader in particular, as an, uh, when, when we work with local government leaders on the economic development side, we talk about firms. Everybody back in the 80s, economic development was all about what I call chasing smokestacks, right? We got to get these big companies, industrial parks got to be full and we got to have high paying jobs. Similarly, though, we're still to a degree chasing firms. They're, they look different, they feel different, but, um, but firms uh, follow workforce. Every time, no, it doesn't matter what what the situation is. You could have all the great attributes uh, in in the world if you don't have a steady, solid, growing workforce. The firm is in the sector that you're chasing. The firm isn't coming. So, firms follow workforce. Workforce follows place, right? Workforce people move to a great place, and that happens to be something that local governments have nearly total control over is the form of the community and, and the amenities, the quality of life amenities that we we put into communities. And so back in the, again, back in the 80s, I might've told uh, a local government, hey, buy a bunch of land, put in big water and sewer pipes, build an industrial access road and put in a rail line and you'll attract a company. Maybe. Um, <laughs> nowadays, what I tell people is, Make sure your downtown is squared away. Uh, make sure you have a diversity of housing. Make sure that you're walkable. Make sure that your parks are in great shape, that you're programming the heck out of them. Make sure that you've got somebody who's paying attention to um, activating these great spaces. So in downtown, do you have a little venue where you can put on Friday night events? Do you have outdoor dining 
Um, are there, does your zoning and, and uh, your development regulations, do they promote the sense of place that's going to attract people, right? So that's a, that's a real how and what thing. So I think about if I'm a, if I'm a, if my why is, uh, you know, I, I want to create the absolute best quality of life for my residents and my, then my how is, you know, it's going to be walkable. It's going to be vibrant. It's going to be uh, year round. It's going to be, you know, these kinds of things. Uh, and then my what becomes really clear. I have to invest in streetscape. I have to invest in clean water and reliable wastewater. I have to invest in parks and public spaces um, because now the thing that I'm in control of as a local government leader is the power of place, is what happens in this geography. Uh, that's my, and, and we'll talk about, you know, well, a lot of that happens on the private side of the fence, and that's true. Um, but your development regulations can can generate the right thing on that private side of the fence. And so, um, the first thing I tell local government leaders to do is, you know, take an inventory of your public assets and the condition that they're in, and get a plan for getting those um, uh, up up to snuff, and then take a look at your development regulations and make sure that they're create that they're built to create a really great place to do business and a really great place to live and to work. Um, we deal in your, in your uh, hometown there, we deal with a very large, you know, what's becoming a multinational public corporation. They got a couple hundred of employees now in the community. They've just announced that they're going to make this their global headquarters and when we go to see them and say, what can we do to help you expand? What can we do to make sure that the bulk of your investment stays here in this community? And they say, make sure downtown's great. Make sure there's a diversity of housing. Make sure there's lots of stuff for employees to do because we need to be able to attract employees from around the country to live in this community. And so you're going to have to stand up and it's a tech firm. So you're going to have to stand up to Austin, to San Antonio, to Atlanta, to Charlotte, and to these other places. You're going to have to differentiate yourself from them and stand up to them in terms of quality of life. So the place is so important. Yeah. And and you you nailed that. And I think there's there's some places that have some pieces of that and some that don't have it at all. Right. So, you know, we're fortunate in talking about Canada, where I live, um, that the downtown is great, that there was a downtown at one point. Right. And then that they could just keep expanding it and keep modifying it and keep making it nicer. But there's some communities that are, that are a pass through, right. They might have a stoplight. Right. Yeah. So like, you know, for, for some of those spots that maybe they don't have some of the, the key essentials, right? Because I look at I look at what this community has, right? We have a community college, we have a concert venue, we have a lake, we have you know we have we have all these like little pieces that are actually kind of big pieces that do a lot. Yeah. They do a lot on their own individually, and then taken as a whole, they they add so much. So for those communities that maybe maybe don't have the big draws. That maybe you have the small draws, right? Maybe maybe they're more pastoral. Maybe they've got you know more farmland, or they're more rural, um, or maybe the opposite. Maybe they're just very very urban, and they're and they're missing you know some of that hominess type of feel. What what can those communities do? Yeah, I, I, and it's so funny because we do work in. Um, I always say we work in, in communities who are in two buckets: one um, who are growing not very much, you know, a couple of building permits a year, maybe, 
and um, it doesn't make sense for them to invest in a big staff because uh, they don't have the dollars to do that. Um, and then we work in other communities who are growing so fast they can't get their arms around it. And um, in the first set, it's about remembering what they had and wishing they still had it. And in the next set, it's about making sure that before we just do rows and rows and rows and rows of single family houses, uh, we, we think ahead of that about what, what the public space looks like, what public places look like. And so uh, we're coaching a community right down the road uh, from you uh, um, who for years was a largely agricultural community you know, right outside of Rochester, big pastoral farmlands. Um, but as Rochester built out, this community started to catch fire. You know, they've got big flat pieces of ground. The, the, graph, the land is cheap because it's always been agricultural land. Um, and uh, the community invested in infrastructure that enabled it to grow over the years. And as it grew, you know, our coaching to them was think about parks and trails and where the commercial is going to go um, and what types of commercial you're looking for to serve your residents. And because they were new, right, um, they didn't have and their government wasn't really built for programming things like parks and recreation or building parks and trails and public spaces. So what they did was, uh, and this will get super wonky if I let it, so I'm going to try to keep it on the right side of wonk here. But what they did was they created a series of laws and of development regulations that put the emphasis on developing public amenities on the private developer. So a private developer wants to come to town, great. Uh, you want a 100-unit subdivision, that's fantastic. We're going to let you put in a 100-unit subdivision, but you're going to make sure that every street has sidewalks and you're going to make sure that that sidewalk network connects back to our existing sidewalk network so that when the developer gets in there, builds the homes, sells them, and then gets out of town, he or she's not leaving us with something that later we have this to come back and wasteland of disconnection. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're, and so you go ahead. Yeah, you know you're made, you're making a you're adding another puzzle piece to the community instead of adding another puzzle piece further away from the board, right? You're plugging You got it. it. And that's that's the whole thing is making sure that we build as we're we're building homes incrementally, we're always thinking about the bigger picture. We're thinking about how this is all going to fit together one day. And it's hard because as a local government leader, what you heard was a hundred unit subdivision. Well, if every house is a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred thousand times a hundred divided by the tax rate equals this much money. And if I push the developer a little bit, they're going to walk away and I'm going to get, you know, I'll get left holding the bag or I get left empty handed with no new revenue to speak of. But the backside of that is if you don't push, and the developer does come in and build some credit subdivision, then you're going to be left later to retrofit all of that, right? To put sidewalks and streetlights and parks and trails in. Because one day, that group of homeowners is going to say, geez, I wish we had some parks here. Or how come there's no sidewalks on my street? Or how come the streetlights are crummy? And so that's one of the things that we tell like just starting to grow communities about, um, about how to make it work. Then there's an, another set of communities out there where we talk about retrofit, right? Um, so you think about your own community, which which happens to have some of some of this kind of suburban type development, 
where, uh, and they face it, we're in the suburbs. I mean, that's kind of the nature of, of the, of, of where we live. Um, but the 1990s and eighties approach to developing the suburbs were these like highway commercial stretches, you know, with plaza after plaza, after plaza, after plaza. And now we're here saying, well, geez, we, we gobbled up a lot of land. Um, and, we got these monster parking lots that on Christmas Eve might be full, but the rest of the year are pretty empty. How do we retrofit that into um, something fantastic? And actually, just one, you know, right outside of the city of Canandaigua, in the town of Canandaigua, they adopted this set of uh, set of um, development guidelines or regulations, actually called form-based code. And the idea was we care a lot less about what's happening inside the store than how it looks on the outside and how it relates to the rest of the environment. And so what they've done is a, again, now push back on the developer to say, we want you to create a new sense of place here. That's more connected to our community. But B, if you're willing to do that, we're willing to increase the density that will let you develop by tenfold. So under the old standard, you had a 10 acre site, and you could develop an acre of it because we needed stormwater and hundreds of parking spaces and a bunch of other setbacks and things like that. Now we're saying we don't want any of that stuff. We don't care about any of that stuff. There's new technology that'll help you deal with that. If you're willing to put in the sidewalks and the streetlights, we'll take your one acre and let you develop all 10 acres of it. And, um, and what that does is, A, increases the return on investment to, um, to the owner creates the sense of place in the community and the kind of quality that that young mobile folks would like to or older people who want to stay in the community and don't want to own a single family home will gravitate toward and um and then ultimately which is nice back to economic development and lightening the load for everyone increases the amount of revenue that can be generated to the to the local government to the community on that one site so that the cost in the community for everyone comes down. And, uh, and so it's just another way that we leverage kind of place and power of place to do lots of different things for both the private investor and for the community and the local government. Yeah. One. And so I've gotten to hear a lot about form-based code just, just through kind of chatting with people. And I think what's really interesting is in talking with business people, particularly small business people, right? Because it's easy to think big business, right? The smokestacks, right? Bring in, you know, 10,000 people, you know, to this community. Wow, holy cow, right? But really, I think a lot of our economy is run by solopreneurs or small business people, right? People that are, they they just got laid off or they they had this dream and they're finally opened in the pizza shop or whatever it is, right? These people that are very nimble, that have a lot of opportunity, that have a lot of ability, but at the same time, most of those individuals that I've encountered, their biggest complaint when they're trying to get their business going has been regulation or code or just yeah. jumping through the red tape and the hoops to get things going, right? And I think I think the red tape and all the hoops are there for a reason, right? Because it's very important that you you protect that that feeling of place, right? Because you don't you don't want a manufacturing site right on Main Street. You know what I mean? You don't you don't want you know a radioactive waste being stored next to the kindergartners, right? Like it's important that you have a lot of this general safety stuff, but also general vibe stuff in place. How can how can 
towns and cities and municipalities get to a place where they've relaxed that enough that it's attractive and doable for small business and medium-sized businesses, but not to the point where it's gotten detrimental to yeah. the actual community itself. But that's, I mean, I imagine that's, that's so much nuance that there's so many ways we can go, but I'm kind of curious your take. It is. I mean, it's a, it's a, an incredible balance, right? The, the fact that you want to be there as a, as an entrepreneur, that you, the fact that you want to be in a certain place speaks to the power of that place, right? I, I gravitated here for a reason. Um, the, one of my favorite mantras in community development is great places don't happen by accident, right? Great places happen with intentionality. And so uh, the intentionality is most often evident in the regulatory framework. Like we thought about this and we coded it so that it will come out this way. So uh, to your point, all of those things are, are there for a reason. Small business, 100% accurate. It, small business is what fuels economies that m- most places, by the way, but especially the places where you and I work and live. Um, my, one of my favorite, the, the community where I was the city manager, we had, um, we had a, an industrial park, a classic 1990s, 1980s industrial park. Huge businesses out there. A 300-person glass plant, a thousand-person uh, home goods factory, uh, you know, and a, a couple of other firms out there with another couple hundred people. And in that in that um, business park, there were 1,500 employees. So a monster engine for the community in a community of 13,000 people. Wow. A monster yeah. engine for the community, right? Then we had this cool downtown uh, with a great vibe, lots of restaurants, lots of retail. Um, you know, that's where the banks were and where you saw your lawyer or your veterinarian or whoever it was in downtown, we had 1500 employees. Right. And so the, the difference was if the glass plant closed 300 employees, you know, gone, it just sucked it right out of the economy versus if a few firms downtown, you know, a, a young entrepreneur gave it a go and it didn't work out or their business line evolved or they moved. Yeah, it, it was. It was. Uh, it would get absorbed. It was more resilient in that way. So yes, we absolutely have to make sure that whatever regulatory framework we put in place does does enable these small businesses to thrive and to and to locate and to get up and running and moving. I think what what I find most often is it's never the regulation itself that um, that inhibits development or that inhibits business. It's one of two things. One, the uh, clarity of the regulation. So if you and I can't read it, and forget about me, if you and your two best friends can't read it and clearly understand what the city was getting after when they put the regulation in place, then we've written it wrong. We've written it poorly, and we need to make it more clear. And then two, the way we administer it or the way we enforce it. And um, I used to when I would hire a building official, I love state troopers, just put it out there. Like I'm a big fan of law enforcement, but I would never hire a straight state trooper to be a code enforcement officer for the reason that, you know, there's, I don't want it to, I don't want an enforcement mentality. I want a compliance mentality. I want to, I want to, um, someone who's going to be more of an ombudsman and some, uh, an ambassador for the code, uh, a code enforcement person in my world is someone whose job it is to get a business up and running. And what that means a lot of times is sitting down with someone and explaining to them, here's what we're after. And 
Uh, it's the kind of person who, even if you hear no from them, you kind of feel okay about it, right? Um, so I would say, do what you want to do on the regulatory side. Most Just make sure you're getting what you wanted out of it in terms of the form and the function and how it plugs into the community. Um, but make sure that when you write it, it's cl crystal clear so that everybody gets what you're trying to get at and that the person enforcing it is a human, right? Is, a, is someone who's got the heart of a teacher and they're going to they're gonna walk you through it and really get you to the finish line versus someone who walks up and says, you did that all wrong. You're closed. Right. Here, and here's your citation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, no, that's, that's so, I think it's so important because I think, I think so many of the challenges that small to medium-sized communities can face, it really comes down to a few people that are maybe either in the way or doing something that they think and they believe is important, but they're doing it in a way that is, in a sense, harming everybody, right? Because you have, if you have a code enforcement person that's like all about the book and they want to chuck it at people as hard as they can, yeah. right? That's that's going to have a very very negative impact. And you look and you at you get that reputation. I mean, right? you get that reputation. It spreads. Yeah, people people hear about it. People know. Oh, don't yeah, don't do uh, don't open don't don't even bother there. They're yeah. gonna, they're going to hound you to death. It's going to take you six months longer than you wanted to, etc. And then you look at elected positions too, because I feel like there's there's either city council or uh, you know different wards or different representatives that that get elected to stuff that maybe aren't on board with the why. Or they don't even know the why, right? And so they're they're trying to hearken back to something, or they just want it to be like it was when they were kids, or you know they have this vision. And and I think in general, a lot of times, many people in the community have that same shared vision, but their execution ends up hurting everybody, right? Like you know, if we're if we want to keep it a very rural community, we don't want any development, like. Okay, but like people keep leaving the area, so it's becoming yeah. more and more rural than it even used to be. That's um, right. Yep. So I guess for 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 the bottlenecks, whether it's on whether it's on city council, whether it's elected officials, whether it is um, someone who's in a paid position that that's working for the town or city, what what can people do in general? What can a community do? What can people in leadership positions do to to bring those individuals on board? How can how can that mission really come together? Yeah, well, the the number one thing is to to keep it on the front burner, keep talking about it, right? Um, the I, I encourage whenever whenever we have an election and anybody changes seats, uh, so we get a couple of new council members on board or or new town board members on board. Uh, I say, hey, let's stop. You know, let's get together when we're not in a you know suit and tie and sitting on the dais mindset. Let's come in on a Saturday morning. Bring in some Dunkin' Donuts, spread everything out on on the table, and say, "What do we want to get done over the next four years, uh, and how and why?" And in the reverse order of that, why are we all here? Why did you all run for election? How how do we want to operate as a as a board? And then, what do we want to get done out of it? Uh, if you don't do that, I encourage communities to do that every year. Uh, even you can make them if your first one is eight or ten hours. Your second one can be four and your third one can be two, um, just because now we're just doing check-ins and reaffirming. Um, but if you're, uh, if you're uh, not checking in at least once a term, if you're only checking in once a term, that's probably a problem. But if you're not checking in uh, at least once a year, uh, then, then you're going to get farther and farther from that. You're going to drift from that. So as a local elected leader, I would say get together once a year, reaffirm your vision, Reaffirm your values, and let's talk about what the next 12 months looks like to get us there. Um, 
when we're hiring staff, we want to be as clear again about that vision of values as ever. And you should use it as a measuring stick for the candidates you're about to hire. Because uh, again, if I'm, if, if I'm hiring for uh, a code enforcement officer or even a police officer for that matter, and if one of my values is, uh, is empathy uh, and, uh, and you know, under, coming, coming at problems from where the person who's experiencing them stands, and I'm hiring a code enforcement officer or a planner who, who basically says, my favorite thing to do is just crush people with the rules. Uh, well, then, you know, like, that's easy. All right. Well, you're not an empathetic person naturally, so you're probably not a good fit oh, here. Thank you. Yep. Um, but, you know, if, if we don't say them out loud and we don't use them as measuring sticks, then from the second we adopt them, every minute that goes by, we're getting further and further from them. The nature of local government, the nature of all government is that we have to sit down every so often. Some people do it twice a month. Some people do it once a month with an agenda that's got a million little nuts and bolts things on. The last time I presented to the Canandaigua City Council, I was presenting a, um, a, an economic development program that focused on how to attract tourism in, in the winter months, you know, and uh, which is a struggle in, in our community. And I was on deck behind contract for a, a pallet of sludge thickener, right? And so uh, wastewater sludge thickener, right? So it, both important things. If we don't thicken the sludge, then we're going to have problems. And if we don't attract tourists in the winter, we are going to have problems. But if, I, if, if that council hadn't sat down earlier in the year and said, these are our top priorities, I would have easily just gotten swept in with the sludge thickener and, and, and moved on. All of that to say, they have, they, they have to get into so many nuts and bolts that if they don't pull up every once in a while and say, this is why we're here, this is what we're going after, this is what we're doing. Every year you do budget, you should look at your budget and say, how does this advance us toward our vision? How do these investments align with our values? Every time you pass a law, how does this, how does this jive with our values? How does this jive with what we're trying to do as a community versus just first reading, second reading, all in favor. I like you can get swept up in the day to day of local government. So I would say it, it, on the leadership side, doing it that way on the resident side, remember and insist upon the fact that local government is there to serve you. Right. And so uh, way too often we get in this, in this mantra of, the city should do this. The city should do this. The city should do that. The city should blah, blah, blah. And when I go in and coach local governments, I always say, you want to try to tip that over to, with the city's help, we can. Right? And so if you're, a, if you're a resident, you can remind people that this is a servant leadership mentality. You're supposed to be here to help us get our things done. Um, but that means you need to go to meetings. You need to volunteer in your community to make sure that your influence is heard. Um, I, whenever I hear people say, ah, the same 10 people run this community. Ah, this community is built for the fat cats. I'm like, oh, when's the last time you went to a city council? Well, I, what's the use? Well, that's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? right. <laughs> yeah, if you don't want to play in the game, that's fine. Just don't complain about the yeah, score. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, yeah. And you will. You will get to a point where you've, where you've built up enough volume that city council has to listen to you, that they have to. And by the way, most city councils I work with or town boards or village boards that I work with, 
they're they're looking for that. They want to hear from the community. They don't want to be judged every four years when they run for election. They want to get live feedback all the time so that they can involve their community. Mm, I love that. That there's so much, so much that we've talked about today on the community side, on the individual side, on on the government side. Um, almost makes me want to just just hop on and you know sign up to for a government position. I'm throwing my hat in the ring. I'm going. <laughs> uh, I probably won't. But um, you know, just the just the idea of how powerful and how potent and how important governments and municipalities and so many of these individuals and so many of these um, organizations, how much influence and opportunity they have for their area. Um, and at the same time, the flip side, how much influence and opportunity they have to kind of mess things up and and right. and send things down a, a negative path. So we've covered a ton of ground today. There was maybe one idea I wanted to further explore, um, the idea of like incentivizing and, and pilots and the idea of um, trying to, um, and pilots spelled in all caps, right? Yeah. Not like people in planes. Um, so I guess with the idea of creating incentives or aiming for incentives or trying to get government money. You know, if I'm, if I'm a local government trying to get state money or trying to get federal money, what are the pros and cons? Where, where's the slippery slope for people? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's controversial topic. And as always, the, the issues, the reason it's under a microscope is because of a few bad actors. And so what I would say is it all rolls back to the stuff we've already talked about. If you can clearly define the purpose for the incentive, if you can clearly define how it's going to differentiate you from your neighbors uh, and how it's going to and how the businesses you're going to attract and the incentive you're going to allocate um, aligns with your values, then it'll be just fine. If it's managed well, it'll be just fine. So I, you know, we hear a lot about the the mega pilot, right? Again, P-I, capital P-I-L-O-T, right? This where Amazon HQ, you name it, right? Amazon HQ3 rolls into town and the government rolls out the red carpet and zero property taxes in perpetuity and free water and sewer and all that stuff. And people go bonkers, right? They get so fired up about that. These giveaways to these rich guys. But if I said, what if we gave $10,000 to uh, a a small business owner who wanted to open a coffee shop on Main Street? Um, Yeah, of course. why, Why wouldn't we do that? It's the same principle, public money to support a private venture, but one of them clearly aligns with your value set and one of them doesn't. And I'm not saying which one does or doesn't. I'm saying that if I can stand in front of you and say, well, I said at the beginning of my term, I wanted to find a way to incentivize small business to create a great downtown and to uh, and to um, provide you know, underprivileged populations with opportunities to get into the business world. And then I gave Amazon a pilot for a hundred years with no property tax and no and no water and sewer fees. You'd be like, well, how do those two tie together? So you deviated from your whole your whole thing because the dollar signs of Amazon dropped down in front of you. Versus, yep, I gave ten thousand dollars to a coffee shop because it aligned perfectly with everything we said we were going to do at the beginning of this. And so. Um, I, I would just say, make sure that that's not the, that you remember, uh, and we didn't talk much about this, but with start with why you always say work inside out first purpose, then value proposition, then what we're going to do. Um, similarly, I wouldn't wake up tomorrow afternoon after having no conversation about economic development strategy and say, let's throw a hundred thousand dollars aside so we can give 10 small businesses a $10,000 grant. You and me love that. It speaks to us. It makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. 
But that's just because we happen to be on the same page. Um, we didn't talk about it. We didn't ask the public what they wanted and so forth. So like, like you said, just like regulation, just like anything else, it's always in the execution. And it's always in the how we got here, how we got to this incentive. Yep. Uh, yeah. And I think once you understand the why, the how starts to play itself out. And then what you do is just, it just Easy. makes sense. Makes it out. This, obviously, right? Because this is our values and this is what matters to us. And this is where it's where we're headed. And it's just, that's a part of the vision. Um, I think that's so powerful. So yeah, for those, those communities, maybe people that are listening, um, inside out, right? Start with that why, build out the values. And then what you need to do next is going to start to become pretty clear. Um, I love that. So Matt, was there anything you felt like we missed today or maybe a final summary you wanted to give us? I I think you just nailed it. I mean, I I think, you know, it's all about being a community of choice and becoming a community of choice does not happen by accident. If you run for office, and within six months, you after you win, you haven't spent some time with your full board or your full council asking yourself these asking yourselves these questions. Where do we want to be ten years from now? How are we going to get there? And then what what should we be doing to make that happen? If you're running your your community on a meeting by meeting basis, you're wrong. And so take a moment. You don't have to hire. I know it's hard for me to say this sitting in my conference room here, but you don't have to hire a consultant to do that even. I mean, just sit yourself down and ask yourself those questions. Um, and you'll be a mile ahead of your, of your neighbors and of your competition if you do that. I love that, Matt. For those that want to get in touch with you, perhaps even hire you, or maybe just get to know you better, pick your brain a little bit, what's the best way for people to reach out? I lost you at the very end there. Sorry. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, so Matt, what is the best way for people to get in touch with you? Uh, you can find me anytime. Ask me any questions. I love to chat local government. Uh, Matt, M-A-T-T dot Horn, H-O-R-N at M-R-B group dot com. Um, you can check out our website, www.mrbgroup.com. I got a bunch of podcasts on there about exactly the things we're talking about today. And, um, and I'm just a local government nerd, a community development nerd. So I love to just, just talk, talk about it. So feel free to give me a call or shoot me an email. Amazing, Matt. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Love, love being here. What's going on, Grow Getters? Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you hit subscribe. This is going to automatically download the newest episodes for you because let's be honest, you know this is your favorite show. It's also going to help this show get in front of more people. Subscribes are the biggest metric that they use in order to push this in front of a new audience. If you want to do me another huge favor, you can leave me a review. Let me know why you tune in. What's been intriguing for you lately? What have you been learning? In this most recent episode, what was something that stood out for you? Please leave that review. And thanks for being on this journey with me. Andrew hopes you have enjoyed this program.